Testing. Tested. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I heard <laughs> yesterday space was rubbish, so I'm sorry about that. Yeah, we literally can't survive without your voice. Did you see if our next... It's almost uh, like we shouldn't even show up and try. <laughs> Did you see if our next uh, predictions? I was just going through it now. Uh, I did not see the specific prediction. What did they say today? There's 15 of them, not just one prediction. Uh, they've got the 2024 prediction. 15. Oh predictions. yeah, we, that's right, Matt, Matt. Yeah, Matt Hogan was here the other day, mm. and he said he was going. They were going to be putting that out, and we were said we were going to have him come back and go through them. I, I got you. I haven't actually read it yet. Well, what were the key? Uh, I was going through. I was just going through it now. But I want to go through it later on, one by one, and get everyone's thoughts on it. Maybe after you give an overview on the market, uh, Scott. I know there's a few things to discuss today. So going through the agenda. Not too much news, uh, but we've got probably the most exciting news in Michael Jackson's new album. I was going through the agenda. They're apparently launched on the blockchain, so I'm listening to that afterwards. Um, but it, it, I don't think it's a new album. I think it's his first studio recording, which actually is pretty cool. No, I think he... he I think uh, no, no, I think he... he no, Scott, he, he, he recorded a new album. What do you mean? He's, he's also going on a tour... In a couple of months. Yeah, I, I heard he's touring with uh, Bob Marley, Biggie, <laughs> yeah, uh, and Tupac, Tupac and, and, and actually, and I think Jesus, Jesus is actually headlined. <laughs> okay, so anyway, there's not much news. There's only the Jamie, uh, one thing I want to talk about is the Jamie Diamond and Novogratz uh, back and forth. But most of it is just the market and alts, which is kind of your area of expertise. So maybe you want to kick it off with an overview and go to the panel uh, to get everyone's thoughts on whether we're in a bull market or not. Okay, do we have to? I mean, do we do we really have to have the <laughs> is it a bull market or not conversation? I mean, we it's like at twenty thousand, is it a bull market or not? Yes, twenty five thousand, is it a bull market or not? Yes, thirty one thousand. Uh, Bitcoin is hit forty five thousand dollars, forty five thousand dollars, right? And we're still debating whether we're in a bull market or not. Listen, it's a bull market. If price goes down, it's a new bear market. This is not some like trend in the existing old bear market anymore. We're seeing every sign of, of bullishness that you could possibly want. We're seeing altcoins pull multiple X gains seemingly overnight. I mean, this has every single symptom of a bull market. I mean, Bitcoin right now is sitting at 43,886, right? It topped, like I said, uh, tapped 45,000 just a couple of days ago. Bitcoin dominance now once again had this huge pump when Bitcoin went up, and now Bitcoin dominance is falling off a cliff once Bitcoin stabilizes. Telltale signs of a bull market that we did not have until Bitcoin was around 35,000, right? Even when we rose from the 15, 16 area, altcoins still got slaughtered. But what you see in a true cyclical bull market in crypto is that people FOMO into Bitcoin when it's going up, they get bored within 24 hours if it doesn't go up anymore, and they start uh, throwing their money and their chips into the casino and all coins start going crazy. And then the rotation happens back to Bitcoin. That's happening. So there's really nothing I don't think to talk about as to whether or not we're in a bull market. I think we can put that one to bed at this point. Do you remember Maybe we had if a... there's someone in the audience who disagrees, I would love to hear that. But yeah, I mean, raging do you, bull. Do you, do you remember we had the regular speaker that's come on a few times? Uh, I'm really bad with names. So you know who I'm talking about. They said that there's going to be a one final capitulation for altcoins Remember that day when I was kind of pretty caught by surprise and was a bit disappointed to hear that. that ben uh, Ben Cowan. Prediction. Uh, I yes, believe it was yes, Ben exactly. Cowan. Yeah, it was yeah, Ben Cowan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do, do you think there's still a possibility considering where the markets are? Uh, obviously, everything's possible. But do you think it's a plausible possibility uh, considering where the Absolutely. markets are? Absolutely. 
absolutely. But the problem is, is that you don't, it's hard to predict when those things will happen. We always get 30, 40% retracements, even in a bull market. And the problem is, is that thinking it's going to happen at every level means that that retracement may come back to where we were at that point, right? If Listen, if you missed out on what's happening, and I love Ben, I actually agree with largely what he says. He's been right, I think, about Bitcoin dominance. But like, you know, listen, if Bitcoin was 30 and you said, we need a 30% retracement, it's inevitable, it's coming. Retracement comes from like 48 down to 38 or whatever, <laughs> you missed a lot, right? So uh, you, you, can't, you can't live your life hoping that that retrace comes at the perfect moment. Right now, like I said, it's a bull market until proven otherwise. Now, I do think there's a very, very viable chance to his point um, that altcoins get slaughtered versus Bitcoin. If we think a Bitcoin spot ETF gets approved, uh, we see a God candle, Bitcoin rocketing up. The liquidity is going to be massively just sucked out. As Mike McGlone says, the big sucking sound uh, going to be sucked right out of all coins and back into Bitcoin, at least for a while. And we also can assume that if Bitcoin drops from here 10%, that altcoins will drop 30, right? Because that's what we generally see in these cycles. So it's kind of funny, right? I mean, 38,000 on the way up was like a dream. It's like the memes, you know, where it shows like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and the uh, Wolf of Wall Street and he's partying and then it's like 38,000 on the way up. If we hit 38,000 on the way out, it shows him like, you know, I can't remember the movie where he's uh, out in the uh, snow and like uh, dying of starvation. You know, the same exact price two weeks later, the sentiment will be completely different. So I do think that uh, there's a possibility, but like, are is anything going to new lows? There's no reason to believe that. Carlo? Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, one more thing to probably add to the agenda is we did have some news. The uh, judge denied, uh, actually sided with the government and agreed that CZ needs to sit tight in the United States pending sentencing. That decision came out yesterday. He found that uh, his ties overseas and so forth uh, were, were too compelling and that he would prefer he cool his jets in the United States. Yeah, basically what he said is this dude has so much money that if we let him go, there's that even small off chance that he could just disappear because he has endless resources. I think this is complete crap. The guy turned himself in willingly, made a deal, paying the huge fine on the basic idea that he would be able to be sent back, and he's not. But it's not like he's when sitting is, in jail. When is the, the yeah, he's not in jail. I, I, don't, I don't find it to be that, that far-fetched. Like he, he's one of the wealthiest people in the world. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, why would you be surprised if they're not letting him leave, considering how easy it is for him to just seek... Um, and seek safety in a in a country that doesn't have uh, extradition laws. But is that for Carlo? Is that surprising that they've done that? Could, you know, people are already calling out on Twitter. This is targeted against crypto. If it wasn't crypto, this wouldn't have happened. Is that fair to say? Carlo, you got to unmute. Uh, I don't know. Can you hear Carlos Scott? Is it me or? No, I can't. It looked like he was trying to mute and unmute. And am I okay now? Never. Better. No, good yes. now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, the magistrate yeah. judge who made the uh, decision on the same judge, but everything has to go through the approval of the sentencing judge, which is the district judge. So, no, I'm not surprised by this development. I agree with you. This should have been dealt with at the time of the plea because he did have the expectation he'd be able to stay out and go back to his country. So it is a wrinkle in the case, but I don't think an appeal court would overturn this judge's decision on the conditions of release. Mm. Uh, I think we've. Uh, w when is the sentencing, Carlo? Uh, you know, I don't have that 
in my head at this moment. Let me double Travis, check real quick. Tra- tra- Travis, my, Travis, do you know? Uh, last week in March, wasn't it? Or was, yeah, no, I think it was. No, 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 that's Sam. Is it last week in Feb? Let yeah, me look so the first check. quarter of next year, but I think from a market's perspective. Um, Scott, I know you don't want to talk about the markets, but Sam, do you, do you, I think Sam's sorry, last no, week I mean, in March and, and – uh, I think I think uh, Chang yeah. is last week in Feb or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Just to be clear, I think we can here. Let's we can do this really quick. So see, we'll just give all the news on the uh, people who are in in trouble with with the law. SBF uh, that'll be late March. CZ obviously can't leave the United States. Doquan is being extradited to the United States from Montenegro rather than South Korea. That's US one, South Korea zero. Bitslato guy pled guilty, I believe, to the seven hundred ish million dollars in money laundering and suzu is out of jail and tweeting run it back turbo we're good <laughs> we're good i think this is it did we miss anything lawyered no i think i think those are that's all of them for now i can't i can't even think of anyone who needs to go mashinsky mashinsky is still on the docket yeah and i guess um um i don't want to say it's like paul string guy What's the uh, latest? Richard, yeah, Richard Hart. Richard Richard Hart. Yeah, they've Hart. been that, that that was news. I think last week, Mario, that they were trying to serve him and couldn't. But it seems like they're not mm. trying that hard. Yeah. Um. I, I want to move back to the markets, if you don't mind, Scott, because we do have some new voices here. I want to get uh, uh, Tom's thoughts on, on where we're at with the market um, and the recent rally as well. Is it sustainable? Uh, as if have we completely priced in the ETF news, or when we get an ETF, could things change again? Could the market even get better? And could we say this is the beginning of a raging bull market or we're getting ahead of ourselves, Tom? Morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I've been in the camp that it's going to be really challenging for st- for crypto to continue up if equities are going to sell off. And I've changed my tune over the last few months just because of how things have progressed in the markets with yields selling off in the long ends, equities sort of moving up slightly, but not really ripping. And we've had crypto just run on the back of this ETF news. But also, I think on the back of we're just looking for something new and exciting and interesting to put our capital in. And you're seeing the normies kind of come back in and, and start to notice our industry again. I don't know about you guys, but I'm getting texts from mom, dad, grandma, people hitting me up on Twitter, asking me what the latest altcoin is. So is this sustainable? I think because of the ETF and then because of the immediate potential for the um, ETH ETF and then a lot of the bad actors we mentioned earlier kind of getting cleared out of the space, we have this good news after good news after good news going into next year that's going to sustain the rally. I, I, I do think there's probably going to be some chop along the way, but I think we're in a new uptrend here. And dare I say super cycle uh, upwards. Do not dare say oh. super cycle for fuck's sake. You're going to kill it. You can't um, say super cycle. We were banning the word super cycle. We're putting it on the banned list here. Super cycle implies that you only go up, you never go down. I, I know that's not what you're saying, Tom, but my God, last year, last cycle when we started really being convinced that Bitcoin can never go down again was the dead top. Yeah, wasn't it? Um, wasn't it the guys that Suzu uh, and his uh, partner Kyle? They were the ones that came up with the with the concept of a super cycle. I think they one the, one of the actually. First I think to, I think Dan yeah. Held also, and who I love, and was here I think yesterday. But I think he was uh, definitely one of the champions of the super cycle. And by the way, I was on board. So don't get me wrong. I'm not criticizing. You were on board. Hold on, hold on. Last time you were sorry, sorry. You were on board of the super cycle narrative. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, we we saw Bitcoin go to sixty five thousand, drop all the way to thirty, and when it broke sixty five and was at sixty nine again, I certainly thought, holy shit, like we're gonna take the elevator straight up to six figures, and we didn't, right? And the idea of the super cycle was that. I mean, I guess I was never on board with the "it'll never correct again" part of the super cycle, right? Like we'll never have a bear market. But I'm, I'm surprised. But I, I, I'm surprised you thought that, and we'll go through our next predictions, which kind of are in line with what you just said, Tom. Uh, recession will finally arrive, but will uh, so will a uh, spot Bitcoin ETF, and they expect over two. I'll, I'll read it in a bit, but I had one question for you, Scott. You're the one that always talks about history repeating itself. Humans are always the same, yet you thought history won't repeat itself this time. It's different in the last bull market. Well, I'm I'm a human, so I was completely caught up in the wave of ridiculous FOMO. Like I was as bulltard as anyone uh, at the top, and I paid for it dearly. Welcome to uh, being a person on this earth. Damn. So what, what I want to do, Scott, is I want to go through the, the predictions, the Vanek predictions. There's 15 of them. I want to go through them and get the panel's thoughts. For the panel, you can just jump in on each one or just put your hand up, whatever you prefer. Most of you are regulars. Uh, maybe, Scott, you can take it on, on the first one. Give us your thoughts. We'll go to the panel. So first one, prediction number one and two, I'll read them together. The U.S. recession will finally arrive, but so will the first spot Bitcoin ETF. Over $2.4 billion may flow into these ETFs in the first quarter of next year. To support Bitcoin's price, prediction number two, the fourth Bitcoin halving in 2024 will see minimal market disruption and post-halving rise in Bitcoin's price and with significant gains for some low-cost miners. And number three, he sees Bitcoin of NXC's Bitcoin uh, hit all-time highs. I'm not someone's calling me. Hit Bitcoin uh, all-time highs by next year, uh, spurred by political events and regulatory shifts following the, the presidential election. So these are the first three predictions. ETF. Halving will go smoothly and all-time highs uh, next year with two point with almost two and a half billion dollars in e- inflows into the ETF uh, first quarter of next uh, next year. Anyone disagree with those uh, predictions? I do not. I think those are those are in line. And I mean, I, I don't even think that uh, two point four billion is high considering what we saw. Depending if we're back, really, and believer in a raging bull market. BITO, when it launched the Bitcoin Futures ETF, was the most successful ETF launch in the history of all ETFs and did a billion AUM in just over 48 hours. So um, people keep pointing to the fact that that was the top of a bull market. We're in a bull market right now. So I, I think that $2.4 billion in the first, what they say, month, quarter, a couple of weeks? I mean, that's, quarter, that's quarter. very Big reasonable. Difference. I mean, Big that's quarter. exceptionally reasonable, especially with 12 of them potentially launching. I think we'll go higher. Bruce, Tom? Yeah, real, real briefly, we, as part of this filing, we also don't have State Street, who has the Spider series of ETFs and has the largest gold ETF. We also don't have Vanguard apply. So I think those guys are both waiting for this to be successful to see inflows. And then you'll have the two and three uh, biggest ETF providers jump on board just to have even more flows. So there's we're pricing in a lot of uh, upside and, and inflows, but we're still leaving out some of the biggest players in the industry. Yeah, Mario, I'll go on to the next ones. Um, I was just changing the title. Um, I'll go on to the next one. I want to get Bruce's thoughts. We do need this, to uh, talk about Elizabeth Warren, though, because we have all our friends from the blockchain association here. Uh, yeah, I take over. Bruce. Yeah, no, no, there's a lot of them there. Maybe talk about Elizabeth Warren, then we'll go through them maybe to wrap the show as kind of a, a recap. Now we the title to me says, v- says Van X spelled wrong. Good job. <laughs> no, Vanek, Elizabeth no. Warren plans to kill crypto. <laughs> no. I, I didn't know that Vanek Elizabeth Warren must be her criminal <laughs> no, no, alter ego. Because because you can't Good be job, off while doing it. No, because well, how Good about job. you moderate no, you for one minute? Wrong. <laughs> yeah. No, okay. I Good was job. trying to fix it. Okay. 
It's like uh, Vinette Elizabeth Warren is like uh, the new uh, Bond Bond us, villain. Look, look, all right, talk talk about Elizabeth Warren again because we, we we're not we're not um you know we want to hear more from her because she's very important. Go no, I, you know what she is in this context, and uh, we we love to I think uh, obviously poo poo her and, and dismiss like her comments, but it's important to know that she is literally the most powerful senator uh, in Washington when it comes to banking and finance. And she's public enemy number one of the anti-crypto army. And so when she speaks, there's something underlying the narrative. And it seems that we've now upped the narrative, which she continues to beat on, obviously, that uh, crypto is being used primarily for terrorist financing. She's still quoting the disproven numbers from the Wall Street Journal article about funding for Hamas, which we know are completely untrue. But now she's added another incredible wrinkle, which is the claim that over half, she said, over half of the nuclear weapons and missile program of North Korea is being funded with cryptocurrency. It's like she just her, her ability to make up a story and sell it is incredible. And by the way, the mainstream sees that and immediately believes it, whether it's a retraction or whether it's uh, not true or any of those. Now, we do know that the Lazarus group, obviously, of North Korean hackers has stolen quite a bit of money. So what she's effectively doing is saying there's this big pile of money this is how much is being spent on nuclear weapons. It must be the same, right? And first of all, the numbers don't even add up, but uh, it, it's a preposterous claim. And she's now brought that claim to the floor of the Senate. She's on TV talking about it. And she asked Jamie Dimon, obviously, about it. And we all kind of famously saw his words that if he was the United States government, he would close it down, talking about crypto, how much he hates it, uh, all these things, which is curious considering JP Morgan's massive uh, investment and time and resources being spent building private blockchains and JP Morgan Onyx. Perhaps that's a story for another day. But in the context of all of this, we know that, and I'm going to let Ron and Dan kind of update us here because it was at the Blockchain Association uh, meeting last week. Um, we know that uh, the Treasury Department wants more emergency powers because that was stated implicitly by Wally and uh, the ammo there. I always pronounce his name wrong. And we know that they're trying to pass more legislation now for sanctions, which specifically mentions uh, crypto and it's going into the House of the Senate. And we just basically have a ton of legislation right now that's very much on the attack. These guys would be much better to sort of update us where it is, but it's all effectively funneling down from her. And we're finally seeing sort of the actual manifestation of her words in legislation. So, I mean, Ron, Dan, you guys can tell me if that's a poor assessment, but that's how I see it. No, you're 100% on the money. Uh, it, you know, she's actually had a two of my friends who are bank lobbyists text me yesterday saying, good luck, she's your problem now. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really funny. I think, you know, a lot of folks focus on Jamie Dimon, but I'm glad we're focusing on Elizabeth Warren because, at least to my knowledge, this is the first time she wasn't critical of any of the banks. I mean, she always used these opportunities to really go after Wells Fargo in particular, but she's gone after the other folks for quite some time. Uh, and this is the first time that she made, you know, her brand hit in the banks that she is now switching to crypto. Uh, we've, seen, we've seen her actually pivot from like other concerns of hers, like private equity and also pivot to crypto. So like crypto is now her target and she targets a lot of folks, but we are right in the crosshairs uh, compared to her other main priorities. So, um, I, you know, I will say though, the, the, the thing about Elizabeth Warren, she doesn't really pass too much legislation these days, uh, but she has a really robust staff. She has a lot of influence, especially over at the White House when it comes to economic policy. Um, and then Sherrod Brown, who's the uh, lead Democrat for that committee, does defer to her a lot for positions. Um, and not all the time, but uh, a decent amount. And so 
Uh, he's said, at least for her bill, uh, and he said this a couple months ago, so things have changed, obviously, since uh, October 7th. But uh, he said earlier that he was not considering her bill. But there is another bill out there that's actually pretty similar to the objectives that she's trying to uh, accomplish with trying to expand the Bank Secrecy Act to all crypto transactions, which just does not make sense. Uh, and we literally, the technology can't comply. But uh, the one literally, and CZ, I mean, CZ literally just pled guilty to a violation of the Bank Secrecy Act. And Elizabeth Warren says we need to alter the Bank Secrecy Act for crypto. Like, seems like it's doing a pretty good job, right? That's the thing. And at least when we're talking to folks uh, in the Senate, it's especially the Senate. Uh, they're saying, see, like all these bad things are happening in crypto. I'm like, well, yeah, this is actually how you know law enforcement works. This is how the law works. Um, but for law folks, they're saying they think that Binance not doing KYC AML, um, that actually applies to Coinbase, Kraken, uh, and other foreign and U.S. exchanges. They think no one's collecting information. And that's just patently false. You know what's wild about Dan, this? Uh, you wanna, okay, go ahead, Carla. You know what's yeah, wild ahead, about this, Scott, is that these... Uh, intermediary, these centralized intermediaries in the financial sector, banks and so forth, are without question the biggest facilitators of money laundering when it comes to cash transactions. And yes, they comply. They file their suspicious transaction reports whenever they see suspicious activity. But yet the little dirty secret is they retain their fees on these transfers. And that's something that never gets brought up in the mix of all this. They constantly point the finger at crypto, but the banking sector and fiat is overwhelming majority of money laundering. Yeah, and JP Morgan, I mean, we, we all know, and Bank of America, I think, has the most. JP Morgan second, Wells Fargo third. But I think JP Morgan's paid $39 billion in fines for these exact things on over 270 apps, right? So it's like, uh, you know, the pot calling the kettle black here, obviously. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah, you know, I echo what Ron said. I mean, Elizabeth Warren certainly still has you know, enormous influence over uh, how, how these how crypto is being viewed within the Senate. There's another bill that came out introduced yesterday, the Terrorism Financing Prevention Act, which has, frankly, a lot of powerful senators on it now, not not including Warren. It has uh, Romney, Mark Warren out of Virginia, Rounds, um, Jack Reed out of Rhode Island, billed as a uh, bipartisan act. And, uh, of course, perpetuated by the October 7th attacks in Israel, uh, they're leveraging that whole Hamas narrative, which is yet another problem we're going to have to face coming into the end of the year. And that narrative what's, is false. Like I said, the, it's been proven false and they're just using it. Yeah. What's the likelihood that gets traction? Ron, what do you think? <clears throat> Um, it, I think there's going to be some elements that are going to be, uh, that definitely will get traction, especially in the Senate. Uh, again, we have the house doing the stable coin bill and the market structure bill. The Senate is focusing on money laundering. Um, and so, uh, you know, you got to pass both bodies to get any bill done. Uh, we're going to probably have votes in Q1 and Q2 of, for the stable coin bill or the market structure bill, if not both. Um, and so it's hard to see the Senate saying, you know, we're just gonna let those go through without any of our priorities. So that's not equally then. Sorry, isn't it equally then difficult to imagine that Kong, that uh, the House takes anything that comes from the Senate, considering it's a different uh, party in control and passes those? Well, I mean, so we're at grid, it's gridlock on all of them, basically. Yeah, it's, it's gridlock, though, combined with the uh, there's a lot of desire from both camps. Like this is a passionate topic from, you know, from the Senate and uh, the House. And so, like, they're going to want to get something done. And so the question is, what makes it in these bills in the final versions? What can they live with what they can't? Um, you know, it's Congress likely they could end in stalemate, but, uh, there is impetus to actually work together. So, 
Um, and again, some things are good in these bills. There's a lot of things that are bad. So uh, it's not necessarily we're directly opposed to everything in these bills. And it's all bad for crypto. Uh, like some of these. Yeah. Well, what um, Ron, Ron, can you can you give us an idea for those not following this? What are the main the, the, the three key things that you say are good things in the bill, and what are the three things that are the worst uh, in the bill? Um, I'll, I'll focus on like more all the bills here because again, there's the Treasury proposal that that just came out from Congress. Or sorry, that came from Treasury to Congress last week that was announced at our summit. Um, the other thing that's good, I would say, is the secondary sanctions. That seems to make sense. Um, you know, it, a lot of folks we're talking to in the industry uh, from DeFi to exchanges were totally fine with Treasury having more authority to implement sanctions. Um, the was a mixed view when it comes to the concerns about stablecoin issuers who are offshore. Obviously, Tether is important for the ecosystem, but at the same time, a lot of folks in the government are really concerned about their reserves, which they seem to shore up uh, to some extent. The audits. Uh, and then there's also just concerns about um, de-dollarization and the effect of the U.S. dollar on national security concerns. And so that's another one where it's a mixed view from what we're hearing, but a lot of folks do agree that there is like a tether problem. Um, I, the other one is applying you know, the Bank Secrecy Act to DeFi. That's a that's a major, major red flag. That's it, in both the can Act that just came out uh, that Dan was referencing, as well as Warren's bill. Uh, the idea that DeFi really doesn't have the information to comply with the Bank Secrecy Act, but also they aren't going to be collecting this information to begin with. Um, and that's they don't operate like the banks do. So uh, that's a major red flag. Uh, there's a variety of other proposals here and there, but I think it's, just, uh, it's important to highlight there's kind of the top three concerns here. Uh, is mostly from the DeFi perspective, as well as exchanges too. I mean, if, if DeFi can't comply, DeFi can't work in the United States, these bills get signed into law. It's going to be really bad for the ecosystem as a whole. Centralized changes included. Hey, Ron, a quick question. Hey, is, is, sorry, you covered you covered a lot there. What did you say about Tether? Uh, so this came up with more of the uh, Treasury proposal, but there was concerns about, again, they didn't explicitly say Tether, but they said they have major concerns about offshore stablecoin issuers who are uh, issuing in U.S. dollars. Um, it, it sounds pretty much like a tether problem there or a tether concern. We've been hearing that for quite some time from both sides of the aisle in Congress. But uh, uh, mixed views, uh, at least when we're talking to folks in the industry, obviously. Is it, is, it your, is, it your view, is it your view that you that the U.S. government doesn't have the authority that they need to uh, survey or uh, oversee Tether the way that they want to? Um, at least, I mean, Treasury is pretty uh, limited when it comes to actually making requests to Congress. Uh, I mean, it's for, and when they do make uh, such a bold request, they really mean it, um, and they usually back it up with you know a variety of claims here. Uh, some, of course, are also in the classified briefing setting, which is uh, kind of tough when you're talking about the North Korea issue uh, Scott referred to earlier. Um, but overall, yeah, I think it's just more of a, a mixed concern here on the, from the tether front. If they're asking for this stuff, it probably means they do have some concerns. We haven't explicitly heard from Treasury what exactly about tether that they're not seeing that they want to see more into, but um that's that's the that's the part that's confusing to. to me is that it seems like the u.s government has like total oversight and total control over tether like it's like they freeze stuff whenever they want it they've frozen like 1500 plus addresses they just froze 225 million dollars worth of tether the most tether they'd ever it was like they just froze 225 and like all the tether that they'd frozen ever before that was like 225 yeah and like the, travis and I, and i spoke I, to go ahead sorry no you go no you go no, I was gonna say I spoke to Palo a couple of weeks ago, and like their tether is very transparent about that, right? Uh, like they make no claims to being decentralized or a part of the 
that side of the crypto ethos. I mean, they openly say, listen, we work with law enforcement everywhere. When they send a request, we take care of it. And we are a centralized company that's, uh, you know, running this type of business. And so I think what you're saying is accurate. And I don't even think they would push back. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, that's why. That's why I'm wondering, like, what what the deal is with, you know, the U.S. government kind of posturing in a way that they're they're not, you know, same thing with like, you know, like another way to frame this is uh, Loomis and whoever else was on the author that wrote that letter to the attorney general. And it was like uh, that was in October. And they were like, you need to bring charges against Binance and Tether. And then a month later, you got these massive charges against Binance and there's nothing against Tether. But then now Treasury comes back and they're trying to get like increased oversight over Tether. In the meantime, you know, there's never been more more Tether being frozen. So it's just a part's confusing to me. You know, Adiyamo outlined that in that speech he gave at that conference we held last week where he's he didn't, I think, explicitly mention Tether, but he certainly mentioned the dangers of non-U.S. stablecoin issuers that use the dollar backing, arguing that they need to, they need their address. We need, or at least the Treasury Department needs to address uh, their use by bad actors. So it's been more explicit. And I'll, I'll add a dance point too. If um, if Tether was, you know, at least based in the United States, I don't think we would have seen these concerns, or at least this direct request coming from Treasury. And again, the, the, te- the hate for Tether dates back to more of the reserves like two years ago. Like that was a major concern for Congress, uh, especially when Terra imploded. But um, now it's mostly focused on them being offshore and they're using U.S. dollars and they're very, you know, obviously important for the ecosystem. So uh, I think that's largely where they're coming from. And I will say out of all the folks here, though, for Treasury trying to have them come on shore, folks like the SEC are making it really dang difficult to be uh, in the United States. So that's kind of, uh, you know, we're on two opposite sides here, uh, rocking a hard place. Yeah, I think, uh, Carlo, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, Ron, I had a quick question. Uh, going back to the issue of Treasury putting pressure on AML compliance, I testified in November at the Treasury's public hearing with respect to uh, asset broker reporting requirements and what that would do to DeFi. Has there been any movement from Treasury on whether they're going to impose those uh, proposed regulations or not at this point? Uh, I'm sorry, which, which uh, provision are you referring to explicitly? These are the IRS digital asset reporting requirements. Oh, that the they broker are, provision. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, no, the broker provision, that, for those who weren't aware, this happened during the infrastructure bill, the idea of who is a broker and what do they need to report for uh, 1099s. Uh, and we were heavily pushing back against that. Uh, you know, there seems right now uh, miners and developers likely will be safe. It wasn't clear uh, back in 2021, uh, but DeFi, NFTs, uh, and a variety of other folks could be classified as brokers under the current definition. Um, so we're pushing back. We pu- uh, we've also commented publicly on this. We're talking to Capitol Hill on some legislation that's bipartisan at the current moment. Uh, it's called the Keep Innovation in America Act. I will say, though, I mean, Congress, we talk about how it's hard to move legislation. Tax legislation especially is very difficult to move. Um, and so I think this is going to be both a congressional pressure uh, on Treasury, as well as probably, uh, you know, in the courts if this goes forward. But um, the good news is that there is bipartisan legislation and there actually is bipartisan support from actually the senior officials in the Senate on this on both sides of the aisle. So um, we're trying to get some traction there. But tax legislation takes a while. Tom and Bruce. How, for the legal uh, folks on the call, how much of a priority really is crypto within Washington, especially as we come into election season? You know, we, we're in this bubble and I guess it's unclear to me personally, what, where does this rank on their agenda? It seems it ranks pretty high on Elizabeth Warren's agenda, but 
she's actually up for re-election in my state. I was just looking at the poll numbers and unfortunately she's still leading. But for others, is, is this number one, two, three, or just way down the list? I think it's very important to any of the politicians who took money or shook hands with Sam Pinkman Freed. They're going now to show that they're just taking the whole thing down. It never happened and they weren't friends with crypto. Uh, they were against it the whole time. I think it was a personal vendetta. But I also think they're, you know, it is a, you know, all of the, all of their friends, especially Jamie Dimon, you know, they're taking a rake uh, and crypto plans to eliminate that and all of their control. Whether you think of CBDCs as central bank currencies, digital currencies or central bank digital control, crypto threatens that. So I think it's a priority on, uh, uh, to a lot of people. I don't know that it's like Biden gets in a room and says, this is our top priority. But I think for a lot of people, it matters. Biden gets in a room and takes a nap. But uh, we know that uh, the staffers that uh, are in the White House that are, you know, beholden to Elizabeth Warren certainly get in a room and say those things. It seems like the Hamas deal was like a step change in reinvigorating. I mean, other people on this stage would be able to answer this a lot better than I would. But like, because it seemed like right after FTX collapse, you know, there's like this big push choke point 2.0 sec ram through a bunch of stuff you know cftc ram ram through a bunch of stuff um new york ag was ramming through stuff and then it just got kind of quiet for a while and i i feel like i talked to people that were like this is like not a not a top priority in washington anymore and a lot of politicians wish that they just never had to talk about crypto again and then the the terrorism financing stuff on the back of the the Gaza Strip conflict just like ramped it all back up very It was an opportunity, man. It, yeah. I, yeah, I agree with you. I think it was an opportunity and then I'll go to Bruce, but I think it was an opportunity because Larry Fink annihilated the climate narrative that was the principal FUD against crypto for so long. When the king of ESG files for a Bitcoin spot ETF, uh, it's really hard if you're Elizabeth Warren to talk about how we're boiling the oceans and our transits and our uh, transactions are emptying swimming pools. Right. So I, I think that, um, in my opinion, it's probably a combination of the fact that obviously Republicans in Congress are pushing very pro crypto legislation that she probably feels we need Democrats in the Senate to, uh, make a stand on the other side. Uh, and this just gave her the narrative she needed. She, uh, it, it took one article in the Wall Street Journal that was completely false for us now to be uh, funding uh, Hamas, every terrorist organization in the world, in North Korea's uh, nuclear missile program. Bruce. Yeah, I mean, I think we got to zoom out a bit and just qu question the validity of these tyrants in the first place. I mean, this sounds like a scene from Atlas Shrugged, you know, a bunch of, you know, you know, busybody staffers of geriatrics tyrants down in dc you know running around like oh the the committee on science uh you know deputy undersecretary is unpleased with your math like who are these clowns like we don't need any of them we don't need any of these regulations we shouldn't care what oh what, what treasury thinks of tether who cares what treasury thinks of tether it's none of their business let the consumers decide this is america this is supposed to be the land of the free we don't even say that out loud anymore because it's so preposterous 
preposterous because we have all these Elizabeth Warren tyrants up in our business, you know, oh, file a form for this. Oh, we're concerned. We, well, as long as you do it this way, we'll, we, we'll have bipartisan. I mean, come on, give me a break. It's ridiculous. We don't need any of this. This is math and code. It's freedom. It's speech. It's a word that Satoshi wrote down on a piece of paper and he gave it away. And in my country, I have a right to write and read and publish that code. I don't need a bunch of busybody tyrants sitting there, you know, looking over me. If they want to do something with their time, maybe they can stop the wars. Maybe they can go clean up San Francisco. Maybe they can stop Walmart from being robbed every 15 minutes. You know, let them do something else other than bother us who are trying to make the world better and try and make them completely irrelevant with their tyrant money. <laughs> I could go on, but you get the point. I think my favorite part is that you went full, like, ye old English Downton Abbey when you did an Elizabeth Warren impression. <laughs> Well, that's because they're snobs. They're looking down on us. She's sitting here from her high throne that we pay for in her marble offices with the money that they stole from the people. And she's lording over us like, oh, uh, um, oh excuse me, the, the wolf wants to trade something with Mario in a digital token. Uh, not without my say in between. Like, who the heck are you? That's who we fought a war against. So, yeah, that's why I... Oh, you seriously really made me want to just go throw some tea in Boston Harbor. Go ahead, Nicole. <laughs> you know, we have to. That's what we're all about. It's ridiculous. And it's this ever-shifting Overton window where this becomes more and more and more normal. We're now we're debating like, well, okay, yeah, you know, I know they want to put every single person in jail, but, you know, if we just let them, uh, you know, why don't we have the, the, the Know Your Shoes Act? You know, like criminals, I found this research that indicates that almost every criminal has a shoe. Why don't we just, when we buy shoes, we go into the the shoe registry we put our footprint in there and we have our shoes tracked and they put gps's so everybody knows where everybody is and if you're against that you're 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 in favor of terrorists i mean it's absurd this is you know money should be free the idea that they've made money a criminal and made every single person who uses money a suspect is absurd you know it's terrorism and human trafficking and all of these things already are illegal go after those things go after fraud they're doing a terrible job at fraud by the way you know they could go after these other things rather than you know just strangle holding this entire industry so I, you know i think we you know you know that the whole entire idea is illegitimate and i wish we didn't have any of these regulations we the only regulations we need are protection of you know basic property make sure you can't get hacked get your stuff stolen make sure fraud is illegal which it already is and and that's about it. You know, mind your own business. Other than that, that's my two cents. Well, the, the the issue is that crypto is, you know, the Wall Street Journal elliptic statistics notwithstanding, crypto is facilitating a magnitude of illicit capital flows that is too big for the U.S. government to ignore. Your 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 underlying point there is like the concept of the freedom of anonymous transactions, like like in America, should we have the right to transact anonymously? And that's like a that's a really big question. Um, but if you look at the way that traditional finances moved over the last couple decades, then I think the very clear answer is that the U.S. government doesn't want you to have that. And are moving to make sure that people don't have that. And yeah, but they're wrong. You know, that's the thing. Like they're they're wrong, and I have seen it. I've seen it up close over the last twenty years and the last thirty years. When I first became registered as a, as a financial advisor at Morgan Stanley thirty years ago, 
um, you, 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 I could open an account over the phone with no ID. I didn't even need your social security number. And, and, and now look at us. You, know, you need 60 pages of stuff to open an account. They, they've got to have you hold up a selfie like a child. It's none of their business. You know, I don't care what the government wants. We're the people. It's we the people. We, it's supposed to be what we want. And this isn't serving us. It's not, you know, they're, 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 they're acting like tens of millions of us are criminals. You know, they're making us jump through all these hoops and make everybody have these compliance officers. Well, there's no way. Yeah. But yeah, but there's no way to, (laughs) it's like you, if if you don't do any KYC, then you let all the bad in with the good. And at some point, the amount of bad gets to a point that's untenable for, uh, people to be willing to accept. Well, who, 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 who doesn't accept it? Well, who's who worried about bad? Let them go to some institution that blocks out the bad. It doesn't, we don't need mother government nannying in here to tell us who's good and who's bad. Let people so, deal with so, whatever. So I think, they want so to I think the answer is that that's just like not the view of the majority of the American people. What you just no, said. I don't, I, don't I, I disagree. I think most American people don't want to. And if, and even if it, even if it is, what, what happened to the protection of the minority? Maybe I'm the only crazy person in the world who wants to be able to freely transact my money without some nanny state bureaucrat running over my head with it and threatening me if I don't fill out a bunch of forms. I know I'm not the only one. But why should I? Doesn't this assume that the government's good at protecting people when you fill out those forms? No, of course they're not protecting people. They're terrible at protecting people. Michael. Yeah, I just had a question for for Ron, and um, we've heard a lot of talk from um, the Republican side about the threat of a subpoena on Gary Gensler, but it seems like so far that's really kind of been an empty threat. It gets brought up, and there really hasn't been any action. Um, I was just wondering if you had any insight or thoughts around whether or not you actually think that's going to happen or any reasons it hasn't. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing about subpoenaing Gary Gensler, like, it, I'm not sure it's going to yield much uh, you know, benefit here, at least especially for pushing any of the legislation that Patrick McHenry wants to push, again, stable coins and market structure. He does have a year left or 13 months, you could say. Um, but I think politically, it just wouldn't really help his cause, especially if he's trying to get Democrats, especially like the lead Senate Democrat, to take it, uh, his bill seriously. It'd be a really risky strategy to move his legislation uh, while also subpoenaing one of the agencies that he's trying to regulate. So um, so that's been I think it, it could easily happen, especially if there's more overstep uh, or more enforced actions um, or if we just the legislation dies and stalls. Uh, but right now, I, I don't see that move or happening anytime soon. Pending anything else the SEC does, um, they've gone after pretty much everyone and everyone in this space. Uh, and uh, what I bet there's more though happening, uh, probably yeah. uh, lined up. So we'll see. Yeah, Question, I was Ron, curious. You, okay, go ahead, Michael. I just wanted to ask really quickly. You, you brought up McHenry. How impactful and meaningful is it that he actually announced his retirement? We haven't actually talked about it here, Dan. I see you lifted your mic as well. Either of you. Well, I, to me, it's, I'm from North Carolina, and you know, he's been in Congress since he's what, probably 25, 26 years old, took office in 2004. So he's coming up on 20 years. And to most people, I don't think this was much of a surprise. Um, Rod, I'm not sure how you feel about that. No, we were hearing these rumors actually early this year that Patrick McHenry was going to retire. Um, and it makes sense. Again, three young kids, 20 years in Congress. He passed up leadership, though, which is a big deal. Uh, no one really does that. He passed up being in the Republican leadership to be chair of financial services, specifically for crypto, which is pretty amazing. Um, so at least for the next 13 months, there's two things we can probably see. Either he's going to get some deference 
from his colleagues saying, hey, look, you put a lot of work into this institution. You worked well the other side of the aisle. You became temporary speaker when you didn't want to be. Uh, you know, let's help you move your priorities. And his priorities are crypto and among a few other things. On the other side, we kind of saw a little bit of this towards the end with Pat Toomey, if you recall him in the Senate. Uh, he was one of the biggest crypto champions for us. Um, and he tries hard to try to get some legislation through on stable coins, especially. Um, and he wasn't given the deference from um, some of his uh, colleagues, more on the Democrat side, too. So um, hopefully so the he, market is. Yeah, hopefully the market is matured enough that potentially McHenry will just have a better environment to do that in. Right. Exactly. And I think um, the ETF will help. I think also just the, the, the lack of, um, you know, the fraudsters already uh, shorn up. I think hopefully everything will be a, a lot easier on our end. But um, of course, you know, I, we keep talking about Hamas narrative. The you know we saw this with Russia too. When Russia invaded Ukraine, the uh, skeptics always point to crypto. You're hearing a lot about North Korea too, and I, I think that's one that you just got to really watch out for. Um, but also, like, this anti-money laundering narrative could also really stall legislation if McHenry um, it doesn't uh, want to take it. So, so uh, there's a lot in the air, but a lot of the, the, the chessboard is starting to play out. So we'll see. The next, I think, three months are going to be really pivotal. And let's not also forget. We have a shutdown to avoid. The Republicans have a very narrow margin of just two votes. Um, and so there's a chance we have a shutdown and kind of similar what happened in the fall. This could delay the legislation uh, getting consideration. Um, so uh, we're going to have to see. It's going to be really dicey in D.C. for a while. What's the timing on the shutdown again? Sorry. And then, Nicole, I, I, I know I interrupted. Uh, they have two tiers. So there's a January and February. I've got the exact specifics, but they like, half the government gets funded uh, in January towards the end. And then uh, February is the other half. But again, two vote majority by the Republicans that has a hard time electing a speaker. So like this is going to be really uh, 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 clutch. We'll see.